Colossians chapter 2 will be our, our um, main text this morning as we've been working through Colossians for about four or five weeks now, maybe six. And um, we want to remember continuously to be reminded of the theme of Colossians is the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ is that everything is found in Christ and Christ is in you and you are in the church. And that's the theme of, that's really the, the, uh, the message of the New Testament, really. And Colossians just captures it in a very, very unique way. And, um, and it, it unfolds the gospel, which is everything in Christ and then Christ in you. And it just takes away all of our responsibility. It takes away all of our works and our efforts and all of the things that we think we bring to the table and it makes it clear to us that the gospel is that Christ completed everything necessary for us to become acceptable to God. Amen? And then he came and lived inside of us, and he gifted us all of the things that he accomplished for us. And so it's all about Christ. I mean, that, that is the, and that's why I love that last song. I mean, it's all about Christ. It, it, everything is about Christ. And, 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 and then, not only that he... he he brings everything, and then he comes and lives inside of us with all of that stuff. But then he puts us in the church, and he says, what I want you to do, church, is I want you to be a reflection of this. I want you to display this, to put this on display to the world around you so that they can know what the gospel, not just the gospel message as a verbal message, but the gospel message as a visible message so that the church can be seen and looked at, and people can say, now that's what Jesus is like. And that's what Jesus was like when he, when he, when he uh, lived amongst us 2,000 years ago. And that's what the scriptures are all about. And we've been placed in the local church, in this body of believers, so that we can carry out that um, responsibility, that calling, that ministry. And so there are some things that we, uh, on the basis of that, there are some things that we're called to do, some um, things that are necessary if we're going to properly reflect on that. We, look, we looked at, two weeks ago, we looked at the first, um, I believe, five verses of chapter two, which described the church as being a, a knitting together of a mystery. And we looked at how a knitting together, if you knit something together, when you, when you start, it's just a bunch of string, and when you end, it can be something that's very, very beautiful, and it can display uh, it can depict something that is, um, is helpful. Uh, it, it might remind you of something. It, it might exemplify something to you. It might, uh, a number of different things that you can do with something that you knit together. And the Bible refers to the church as a, an organism that's a knitting together through many different uh, strands or strings, colors, shapes, and sizes, and ethnicities, and but yet linked together and, and brought together and weaved together for the sake of making a full expression, a full display of the person of Christ. And all of those strings are necessary. So if you think, well, I'm, I'm not a necessary part of that, of that picture, you, you miss the point of the text. It is that every part of that masterpiece is important. If you read in, in your free time, um, 1 Corinthians 12, you will find that every piece and every part is important and significant if the church is going to be a proper expression of Christ. 
which is what we're called to do, is to be an expression of Christ. People should be able to look at the church and say, that's what Christ is like, right? And, um, and the church should be able to say, this is what Christ is like, and be unashamed of it. Be able to say with boldness and confidence, we want you to know who Christ is like, so we want to invite you to look at what our church is like. That's what the church should be. That's what the church is about. So, so with that being said, there is a walk. Um, the, the title of this morning's message is a, wor- a Worthy Walk. There's a walk that goes along with that responsibility. M- remember this. The walk that is spoken of in this text is not a legalistic walk. It's not a commanded, it's not a, it's not a walk that the Lord is legalistically commanding us to do so that we can be in favor with God. It's an it's a opportunity walk. It's a responsibility walk, but it's not a legalistic walk. It's not like if you do this, this certain way, you're going to get God's favor. It's that you do these things because you, you have already received God's favor. The church has a masterpiece of God's design for the purpose of putting Christ on full display must walk in such a way or live in such a way as to avoid distorting the glory of Christ. Imagine, if you will, an athletic team or a military regiment or a band. Each of these have a goal that is bigger than any of the individual parts, but yet subject to the performance of each individual part. The goal of a band, if we, were, we have our worship band up here, the goal of that band is not for any individual to stand out, but for the message that they're presenting to be, to be done in such a way as to bring glory to God. And each individual piece of that band is important to, to accomplishing that process. Imagine if a band member was to decide to sing their own song up here on Sunday morning. And the rest of the band is playing their own instruments and everybody is doing their own thing. And, and each individual is focused on what they are doing and what they are about. The, the fullness or the, the benefit of the, of the band loses its purpose because it is hindering the overall goal. Imagine a soldier who's out in war fighting and he decides that he's going to go his own way or do his own thing. It's not as minimalistic as the band member who might destroy a a performance, but this costs people's lives. Because if a soldier decides to do his own thing and doesn't follow suit with what the regiment has practiced and trained for, then somebody will get blindsided or get affected by his absence and, and will possibly lose their life. Imagine an athlete who decides to go left instead of going right. Decides to not block when he's supposed to block or decides to do his own thing in spite of what the play calls for. The play is ultimately going to fail and ultimately, likely, someone's going to get hurt. We must remember that where there is a goal that is more important than every individual part, yet subject to the performance of, their, of these parts, there is a certain walk, there is a, cer- there is a necessity placed on each individual on the basis of how important the goal is. 
We think about what our goal is, is to magnify and manifest Christ to the world around us, to put Christ's glory on display to each other and to those around us. We, we know that we have been called to the most important task that there is. There is no greater task than the task of putting Christ on display to the world around us so that they might see what Christ is like and and. Um, you know, Matthew 5, it talks about that we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth. And it says that we will do such things, live such a way that the world might see our good works and do what? And glorify, and glorify our Father who is in heaven. It is our calling to put Christ on display so that the world might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. There is a walk that's directly connected to and associated with the importance of the overall goal. And since our overall goal is the manifestation of the glory of Christ, there is no greater calling. And therefore, it is utterly important that each one of us lives and walks in such a way as to accomplish this goal. Again, if you picture it as a band, if the band's role was to glorify Christ, to manifest Christ through a certain song, and, and the, the drummer decides to just start banging on the drums, and he's just like, I mean, the rest of the group could be in perfect harmony, and the rest of the instruments could be going well, but someone decides, Eric decides that he's just going to go to town on those drums, and he doesn't really care what anybody thinks. Even though everything else is in perfect harmony, that whole performance and the purpose and the goal of that performance is completely lost because of one individual deciding to be selfish or self-focused. It all has to be about Christ. So this is true about the church, and this is where we get this morning is, our, our text this morning is going to describe for us four things Four central goals as we, put, as we put the goal in front of us, which is to bring Christ to the forefront. We, put, we want to put him on display. We want the world to see him. We know that that's significant, and we know that that calling is valuable and important. As we understand what our calling is, now we have to, as the Apostle Paul is going to do, we have to understand what our walk needs to be like. How do we need to walk to accomplish the purposes of the church. What must we do? And so I want to read that, the text to you, and I want to unfold just four things from the text that teach us how we must walk as a church, as the body of Christ, how we must walk if we're going to, in effect, put Christ on display. And the Bible says, beginning in verse 6, Colossians 2 and verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And we see this same phrase in other passages of Scripture. Chapter 1 and verse 10 talks about walking worthy of Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, which was read earlier, talks about walking worthy of Christ. And this theme is throughout the New Testament. It is to, to walk in worthy of your calling, which is to put Christ on display. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you have you have you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he did, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And this one main theme that you see throughout these verses that we read is obviously there are in him and with him. And we see that consistently throughout this text because ultimately all of these things are subject to Christ. It, it is these things are accomplished by Christ. They've been planted within us and now we are carrying them out. If, if Christ is not in us, we do not accomplish the things that he um, can accomplish through us. The Lord says in Philippians 2, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we're to work out our salvation, we're to work out, we're to manifest our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who has worked it in us. He's worked in us the desire and the ability to do that which is pleasing to him. So God works something in us through Christ, the gift of Christ coming and bearing with him all other gifts. We have Christ and therefore we have a certain power, um, the power of Christ and therefore we now are called to work that out in fear and trembling. So let's look at these four things this morning in the text here. Four walks or ways in which we can walk and what is the basis of those walks. And if you have a, a sheet that you're taking notes on, this will be a number one. Does anybody not have a sheet that would like one? I don't know if we have any extra ones or, or anybody want. We're good. Okay, we're good. The first one is a faithful walk, a faithful walk because of Christ's person, a faithful walk. We find this in verse 6 and verse number 7. The Lord says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And this is a, a simple verse that uh, implies to us in the same manner and in, in the same way and by the, the same means that you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now that is to be the means by which you walk with the Lord. And so we know that we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior by, by what? By faith, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So we know that salvation is a... Is a a coming to God uh, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone who comes to God through faith in Christ, the Bible says, he will receive them and he will save them. Salvation is by faith alone. No works, nothing that we can add to it, nothing that we can take away from it. We can't better it. We can't supplement it. We can't do anything through it. We simply come to God by faith, believing that Jesus Christ satisfied uh, God's holy demands 
for salvation and that he has gifted it to us. And we come to him believing that to be true. Amen? And we don't come. If we come bringing something other than just simple faith and trust in Christ, we have distorted the very basis and the very foundation by which a person is saved, which is by faith. Romans even tells us that if you think of faith versus works, you will understand that they are contrary to each other. Faith is not works, and if faith, if faith were works, it wouldn't be faith, and vice versa. We come to Christ by faith, believing that he accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. We accept that on the total basis and merits of Christ and Christ alone, and that is where salvation comes from. Amen? The same thing is true about our walk. We walk daily by faith. We walk daily believing We walk daily trusting. We walk daily by placing our faith in Christ. We have to trust the author. We must trust the one. It's like, like, again, you go back to the band illustration. All the band members may not fully understand what's going on, but they have to trust that the band director does. I remember as an athlete growing up, my my dad was my coach for several years um, playing basketball, and if you know anything about a dad and son relationship, sometimes when they're your coach, it's not the best thing in the world, right? And so there would be plays that he would draw up, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's stupid. You know, that, that ain't going to work. There's no way that's going to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. And you got all these ideas, and you're like, all right, he's the coach. I'm going to run the play. And you go out, and you run the play, and, and, you, and you win, or you get a touchdown, or you get a three-pointer, or something happened that's really good, and you, you realize that he... He knew what he was talking about, right? And you have to grow in understanding and believing and trusting in your coach or in your, in your orchestrator or whatever if the team is going to work together to present a single picture or a single element. You know, somebody on the band might think, you know, I, I think this tune might be better for this song, Well, that's great that you think that, but you're not going to create a single expression of something by playing your own tune, doing your own thing. There must be a faith in the author, in the one who is orchestrating all things, in the one who created all things, as we we saw in chapter number one, the one who controls all things, the one who holds all things together, right? That's Jesus, amen? Jesus holds all things together. We have, to, we have to believe and trust him in such a way that we're willing to march to his tune. And when we march to his tune, then the, then the elements and the members work together in harmony because they're not all marching to their own tune. There must be a faith in the author. In the same way that you come to, to God for salvation By faith, believing that all the things that he said to us in his word, which, listen, they're crazy. I mean, you can't can't even fathom the things that are promised in God's word and not not embrace them by faith. They're they're, they're supernatural. When God created the world in six days, oh, oh, yeah, that really happened. Yeah, it did. But we embrace it by faith. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not looking for all of the, all the intellect and knowledge to understand it. God's word says it, and so we believe it. 
But there are things that God's word says about your daily walk and about the strength that you have because of Christ's presence within you that you have to believe. And they might seem crazy and they might seem outlandish, but listen, if God's word says it, it's true. And Satan has no power over you and sin has no power over you anymore. Why, Pastor John, can you scientifically prove that to me? No, but I can biblically prove it to you. And I biblically prove it to you. It's way more valuable than scientifically proving it to you. You have to believe. You have to come to salvation by faith. You have to come to walk your daily life by faith. You have to learn to see what's invisible. You have to learn to hear what cannot be heard. You have to learn to trust what cannot be understood. To believe what is impossible. Faith makes clear what is otherwise bleak. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He tells us in Galatians 3 verses 2 and 3, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit or by faith, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? Here's what he says about this faith. He goes on to describe it further. I just want to give you, he gives us, he gives us three simple pictures of it, of this faith. Number one, he calls it, to, he calls it rooted, rooted uh, he says it's rooted and built up. He gives us, first of all, the picture of the tree. The tree is something that is rooted. It has, it has deep roots. If we go to John 15, what do we learn about the tree? Who is the, who is the vine? Jesus is the vine, right? So when we think about a tree that's rooted. We're, we're simply the branches. The branches are what bear all the fruit. You, the leaves grow on the branches. Everything that's beautiful grows on the branches. But everything that's significant is in the, is in the vine, Everything that's significant about a tree is in the vine, but the branches are beautiful. But there are many branches, aren't there? And each one of those, so when you think about it from the perspective of the church, when he, he, what he's saying here is he's saying, be deep-rooted in Christ, be deep-rooted in the person of Christ, be deep-rooted in what he has accomplished, be deep-rooted in him, knowing that it is through his nourishment that all of the branches, which we would say are the church, all of the branches are working in harmony because they're drawing all of their nourishment from the same place. Built uh, or, or, or um, rooted just refers to the fact that, they, that their faith is grounded in Christ. It is grounded in him and that all of the branches which are the church are all grounded in him. They're all rooted in him. They're all getting information. And they're all getting guidance. And they're all getting direction. And they're all getting wisdom from the same place. Right? That's how it works together. That's how the church is knit to bring out a beautiful picture of Christ. Is that they're all gaining everything from the same source. They're all getting everything from the same source. And therefore, they're rooted, deeply rooted in Christ. And they're able to do a good job of displaying him. 
He doesn't only say that they're rooted, but he says built up, which is another picture of many things accomplishing one or, or, or being a part of one thing, which is a building. Several texts gives us the picture of the building. 1 Corinthians talks about the fact that we're built on Christ. He is the foundation, and we are the building blocks. How many building blocks does it take to make a building? It takes a lot of building blocks to make a building, right? And each one of them has to be in a certain place, and it has to do a certain role, and it doesn't carry all of the weight, but it carries some of the weight. But really what's significant is not that the building blocks are in the proper place. What's significant more so is that the foundation is the right foundation. And who is the foundation? As long as we're building on Christ, who is our foundation, and we're building the building blocks, that is the church. We are putting the, you know, foundations are, are most, for the most part, or in many ways, under the ground. People don't see them. But the building is what people see. It's what people drive by and they look and they go, oh, look at that wonderful building there. They don't often say, well, look at the wonderful foundation. That just looks so nice, that foundation there. You know, maybe an architect or someone like that or an engineer might go in and do that. But the general public is going to drive by and say, whoa, look at that building. It was really well built. That's what the church is. It is built up. It means to begin with that we're rooted. He talked about that to begin with. But then also that we're, we're being matured or we're growing in our faith. And then the third picture he gives us is that of abounding in thanksgiving. This is all about faith. We abound in thanksgiving. Faith results in thanksgiving, thankfulness. And this is a picture of a, of a river. If you've ever seen a river that over, overflowed its banks and just kind of ran overflowing outside of its banks, that's the idea of this gratefulness that's here for those who are walking by faith. The church, it should be full of thanksgiving, gratefulness. And Christ has to be the center of our gratefulness. But if you've ever, have you ever seen a storm or a, a river that overflowed its banks? You ever see what it does to the, to the walls of the river? I mean, sooner or later, if you get, a pretty, you get a pretty heavy storm, that the walls of that river just kind of expand, right? And houses start to fall in. I mean, it can be pretty, pretty dramatic. It can have a pretty dramatic effect on its environment on the places around it, right? So is it with the church and its thankfulness. It's like a river that has overflowed its bounds. It's, not, not, it's no longer just affecting the river, but now it's affecting all the things around it. This is walking in faith. If we're, if, if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish as, a, as a, the body of Christ as people who are come together for the purpose of making a, uh, an effort to put Christ on display to each other and to the community around us, it, it must be built on faith. It must be built upon faith. Again, believing the invisible, trusting the impossible, embracing things that we maybe intellectually shouldn't embrace. But this is what unites us. And being thankful in the process of praise, uh, Hebrews 13, 5, uh, 13, 15 talks about that the praise of our lips or the, the, um, the sacrifice of our lips should always be praise to the Lord. So that's the first one is, is a four, it, it must be a faith walk. 
We must have a faith walk. Verse number eight takes us to the second level, and it's really a contrast to the first point, and it is simply a fortified walk. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, now what this simply is, is this is, this is the, and again, the second point is the fortified walk because of Christ's enemies. This is being guarded against those things. Think about it with me. This is being guarded against those things that oppose faith. There are things in your life, there are things in my life that are pushing me to look at the world and to want to see that which is visible. There are things in my life that are pushing me to want to trust things that I can control. There are things in my life that are wanting me to resist the idea of trusting the impossible. There are things in my life that are pushing me, influences that are, that are causing me to doubt that which I can't see. And what he is saying here is you have to guard yourself against any influence. And we, we're, we're, we, are, we are experts in thinking that we're bigger than, our, than the influences around us, right? Well, that will never get a hold of me. And the next thing you know, five years down the road or 10 years down the road, you're looking back and you're like, oh, how did I get here? Well, it's because you gave in to influences and you left influences and you didn't deal with influences. And sooner or later, you embrace those influences, what he is saying here is be careful that you're not influenced or taken captive or imprisoned by things that are going to cause you to doubt faith. They're going to interfere with your faith. And there's a number of different things. I don't want to get into to practical things, but you know the things that cause us to doubt faith. One one preacher once said that the, one of the main problems with a lot of the television shows that we watch on TV is not that they have sex in them. It's not that there's drugs in them. It's not that there's murder and crime and those types of things in them. One of the main problems is, is that they present life as normal without God. They present life as normal without the supernatural. They present life as joyful and happy and peaceful, and, and they are able, because they're actors, they're able to put a display on for you that is very convincing that their lifestyle is the winning lifestyle. I was, I was reading an article recently this week about, about rock stars who have that persona, and they were talking about all of the ones that committed suicide at very young ages in their life. And how their life was not satisfying and it was not fulfilling. And listen to me. The life that the world presents to us without God is not satisfying. It's not fulfilling. It will lead to your demise. And, and, and for some people, it leads to their suicide. Because they have no purpose bigger than themselves. And they know that, that themselves is not big enough. There must be something bigger. There are enemies of your faith. There are enemies of you trusting what you can't see. There are enemies of you believing the impossible or expecting the unexpected. There are enemies of that. And Satan has put them all around our world. And, and what the Lord is saying here is if the church is going to do what it needs to do, it has to walk by faith. Therefore, you have to guard yourself against those things that are going to challenge your faith and cause you to walk in the flesh. Cause you to want to control and want to live in those things that you can see, touch, and feel. 
right? Guard against those things that oppose faith. Refuse things that cause us to doubt the unseen, the unknown, the unbelievable, and possibly the unimaginable. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, but as it is written, what no eye hath seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. That's what the devil wants you to deny. He doesn't want you to believe that God has things planned for your marriage that's maybe struggling right now that you can't even imagine. And that you have to believe those things by faith. And when you believe them by faith, then you pursue them by faith. You don't, you don't pursue something that you don't first believe. When you believe it, then you will pursue it. Many successful people in the world today, in the world's eyes, they believe that they're going to be successful and they go after it. He gives us some things here just really quick. He says, number one is philosophy. Philosophy is simply the love of wisdom, the love of knowledge and intellect. There's nothing wrong with philosophy in, in, uh, in some good uh, aspects of it. There's some good ph- philosophers out there that that study the Bible and seek to understand the Bible and explain the Bible and help us to have a, a deeper grasp of it. But what he is saying here is, is that there's a philosophy that is dangerous to our faith. There's a philosophy that is dangerous to our faith. Understanding, wisdom, intellect, being the foundation for our belief. Because the belief of the scriptures is a belief in the impossible, isn't it? In the supernatural. Why do you think the world questions six day creation? Because it's impossible. There's no, there's no explanation for it at all, other than the fact that God said it. Right? Well, John MacArthur says this he says, if, if people question the six days of creation, what do they do with the rest of the Bible? This is the beginning point. And that's what the devil is attacking today like no one's business in the church is could God really have created the world in six days? Yeah, he could. And that's why he can tell you that he can save your wretched soul. It's simple. The devil is attacking our faith in what we cannot see, what we cannot control. We hate tomorrow so much because we can't control it. but we got to trust that God has a plan for tomorrow. Amen? Is it true? Philosophy. He calls it in 1 Timothy 6, science. He says it's science, falsely so-called, because he basically says it's not really science at all. Because science denies the supernatural, doesn't it? He calls it human traditions, man's laws, things based upon human traditions, things that we can control. Again, again, it's things that you can do and say, look, God, you have to do this because I'm following these traditions. No. Why? What does it do? It takes us away from pure, unadulterated faith in Christ. Everything that we can control and touch and feel and do, 
we are removed from complete faith, 100% faith in the one who created us. Amen? The, the, chapter 1, it says he created all things. It also says he sustains all things. It says that too, doesn't it? But do we believe that? We must guard ourselves against those things that are going to challenge and attack our ability to walk by faith. We must resist them. Satan is a very, very subtle, uh, evil being. Matthew 13, 17, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people belonged Many righteous and, uh, prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And the reason is, is they longed for knowledge and intellect. And then, and then, and then the other, he, he, he goes on to describe not just, not just uh, philosophy, but he, he describes spiritism, which was powerful during this day. Everybody, everybody considered themselves to be spiritual. And this word here in the Greek literally means to be the basics, the ABCs of spiritualism. The, 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 they lacked, they, they were walking in childlike spiritualism. They didn't even understand what they were doing. They didn't understand what they were saying. They didn't understand anything about it. They were just walking in quote unquote spiritualism with no foundation or basis. Listen, we believe in the Holy Spirit, right? But we believe that the Holy Spirit is an objective being. It's not just what we want to make him or what we want to do with him or how we, he is an objective being. He is a person according to the word of God and has a will and a desire and a plan and is working with us and in us and through us. The book of Jude, if you want to turn there with me, I want to read two verses to you to show you how spiritism has taken hold even in the time of scripture. Jude uh, obviously chapter 1, since there isn't a chapter 2, he says, In like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the angel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the bo- body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a, blaspheme, a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme that they do not the things that they do not understand, and they are destroyed for all they, like unreasonable animals, understand instinctively. Spiritualism, messing and playing with things and doing things that we don't understand or comprehend. And doing it in such a way as to remove Christ from his rightful position. We must walk fortified or guarded against those things that will attack our faith. The third thing this morning is a filled walk, or maybe you would say a fulfilled walk because of Christ's work. Read with me in the following verses. It says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Note that word there, you have been filled in him. By being Christ and, being, and having Christ in you, you are complete is what the word means. It means mature. You have, you, have, you have come to maturity on the basis of what Christ Jesus has done for you. He says 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Notice this. Throughout this text, the past tense is used in every way. Everything that's noted in, this, in these verses is in the past. It is something that is completed. It is something that is accomplished. It is something that is done. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the one who was accomplishing it. And you'll notice that everything in this text is in him, through him, or with him. We are benefactors of what Christ Jesus has done for us. He accomplished everything necessary for our salvation, and he has offered it to us as a free gift. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That simply means this, that there's been a gift offered to everyone. His name is Jesus. If you will receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he will bring with him your salvation. And you will be made mature, and you will be made righteous, and you will be made complete on the basis of the fact that you are with him. It's a companionship, folks, that every individual needs. You better be with him on judgment day. You better be in him on judgment day. He better be in you on judgment day. Because why? Because everything good happens because of Jesus. And we need to have a walk that understands, that knows that. The church must walk in the knowledge of what Christ has done for them in the past. It's complete. It's settled. It's done. Now we must walk in the confidence that we believe all of those things are accomplished. And how do we embrace that? By, by faith. We believe it. We believe it's true. It may seem impossible that somebody came from heaven 2,000 years ago, named the Son of God, Jesus, took upon a human form, took the sins of the world on his shoulders, died on the cross, rose again the third day by his own power, and now offers salvation to mankind. That may seem impossible. That might even seem a little bit crazy, but you know something? I believe it because the Bible says it. And I'm willing to embrace it by faith. And I don't have scientific evidence for it. And I don't need scientific evidence for it because I have Bible evidence. And that kills scientific evidence. 1 Corinthians 1, the Lord even says that the scientific, the scientists of the day were the things that the Lord was going to bring to nothing. The work of Christ is sufficient, amen? He is the victor. He is the winner. The work of Christ is sufficient and the church is filled, fulfilled, the church is complete. The church is mature. The church is everything necessary to put Christ on display on the basis of what Christ has done for us. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, it says, he made you alive. 
He forgave all your sins. He wiped your slate clean. The last thing this morning is a fearless walk because of Christ's victory. He tells us three things in the end of this verse here. He says he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. What does that mean, Pastor John? Well, back in the day, this would have been, this would have been very understandable to these people because they would write on parchment or they would write on material that was in such that the, the, the ink that was used to write on this material was erasable. So they could take and they could erase that. They could completely clean off that material and they could use it and rewrite over it. We, we know those as whiteboards today. But the picture here is literally that you had, a, you had a record against you. All of your sins were against you. The law was against you. The Ten Commandments were against you. We have broken all of God's commandments. Everything that could be against us was against us. And God was angry with us and God was our enemy, the Bible says. But Christ came and Christ died on the cross for our sins. He resurrected the third day. And the Bible says all of those who will trust him by faith, he will take that whiteboard eraser and he will wipe off everything off of your board. This is why we must walk as winners. We're not losers. We're winners. We've won, church. We have won. We have won because of what Jesus Christ has done. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday, and it doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow, and it doesn't matter what's going to happen today. What does matter, folks, is we have won in Christ. He canceled every one of our debts. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, if the bank called you today and said, hey, hey, John, um, just wanted you to know that we just canceled all your debts, and uh, you're free you own your house outright. Your cars are all free. Wouldn't that be a great call? Listen, I received a call like that from God. And he said to me, all of your debts have been canceled. And I said, well, wh- why? Because my son took them for you. And the Bible teaches us that anybody that will embrace that truth by faith, not... Not by philosophy, by faith. Not by human tradition, by faith. Anybody who will embrace that truth by faith becomes a benefactor of that thing. Because of Christ's work, there's no longer a law that has been set against you. He has fulfilled the law. He has satisfied its just requirements. And he has put it out of commission on the basis of Christ's work. Hebrews 8 and verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed our transgressions from us. All because of Jesus. He has canceled the law against us. He goes on to say this, in verse number 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. This would be an old, this would be a, uh, a first century um, uh, ceremony 
where a king would go and defeat another king and they would, they would parade that king through the streets in sometimes a very shameful way. And they would shame that king in front of everybody and everybody would see the shame of that king as they paraded him through the streets and it would be like, hey, anybody that followed that guy, that was a really bad idea because look at how shameful he is now. Jesus is parading the devil through the streets saying, look at how shameful this is. And he did that by his death and his resurrection and he did it for his church so that we would have no need to follow the devil. He disarmed him. He disarmed him. Meaning he has no power anymore. He has no power anymore. That is why the church has to walk in victory. He has no physical power over us. He has no spiritual power over us. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that our last enemy and our greatest fear, which is... Our last enemy and our greatest fear is, is death. And guess what Jesus Christ did to death? He defeated it. There's nothing to fear anymore. There's nothing to dread. It has all been completed by Christ. The last thing that he says in the end of the verse here is that he triumphed over them He conquered them. He defeated them. All things that were against us, Jesus Christ overcame for us and for the glory of God. Therefore, we must walk victorious. We must walk in such a way as a church to show the world around us that we believe that we win. Right? We believe that we win. Yeah, it'd be like having a friend over to watch a football game, right? And you're watching the football game, and it's pre-recorded. Your friend hasn't seen the game yet, but you've already seen it. You've already watched the end, and you already know the outcome. And, and a lot of Christians are like that, and they're like trying not to tell them who wins. Don't express who wins, because that'll ruin the excitement. What the Lord is calling us to is that you've seen the end of the game. Now go tell everybody else who wins. Now go show them who wins. Show them who the victors are. And the victors are, the victor is Christ. And the victors are his church and his people. Let me read this to you. And I'm going to close with this text and a few thoughts. Romans 6 verse 3 through 11 says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin." For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died once to sin. 
or he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, that's faith, you must consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Church, if we are going to be used by God to to portray or put on display the glories of Christ, we must learn to walk in faith. We must learn to take the enemies of Christ seriously and oppose them, not just the sex and drugs and alcohol and murder, but we must learn to take the things seriously that are going to press us away from trusting the impossible and the invisible. We must be filled and we must be fulfilled by Christ and Christ alone. Listen to me. If there's anything that you're fulfilled by outside of Christ, guaranteed it will cause division and strife amongst those who are fulfilled by something else. What unifies the church is that we're all fulfilled by the same thing. And what are we all fulfilled by? That's what the apostle, when apostle Paul says, all I want to do is talk about Christ, that's what he's talking about. We must walk in a fulfilled way. And we must walk victorious because Christ is the winner and we are the recipients of his victory. Christ must be our hope, our aim, our guide, our focus, our source, and our confidence. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you today for your holy word. We thank you that you guide us through it, you direct us through it, you infuse uh, uh, hope in us through it, you grow faith in us through it, you unify us through it, you teach us through it. There's so much that we learn from it because it, it is ultimately the physical expression that we have today of Christ. It, he, he is the word and we now see him in the word. And I pray for the church here and churches all around our country and our world that we would learn, Lord, that our calling is important and significant because of, of who it's about and because of what it represents and that we would walk in such a way as to be worthy of the calling that we have. That we would walk in such a way as to manifest Christ as a united body for your glory and by your grace. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise, Lord, because we know that we can do nothing without you. And we praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.